And good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is Harrison Smith with another episode of Cinema. It's been a while, and I'll get to that in a moment. But first, Cinema is brought to you by Dark Matter TV. Dark Matter TV is a streaming platform where you can find not just current genre entertainment and horror, sci-fi, thriller, and action, but also classic content that takes you back to the great old days of late night cable and finding those cult and classic films that they just don't make anymore. Available for download on Android or Apple or visit darkmattertv.com. It's free, it's fun, and it's gonna grow. So a couple weeks have passed where I haven't had a a brand new episode. The last one I did was on uh, whether the topic of Jaws 2 is cinema or not. And I'm happy to announce that the reason why I haven't been able to get a couple new episodes out on on my usual weekly basis is I have just concluded production on a new horror film. It is a monster movie. And I am really, really excited about this one. And details are forthcoming. And uh, really excited to share with you what what this is going to be about. And um, it's going to be released, it looks like, in uh, October. The film has already been pre-sold. So a lot of details coming on this, and I'll be able to give the uh, title and everything like that coming up. So just bear with me. But that's the reason uh, why I've been missing for a couple weeks. We were uh, three weeks in production and actual shooting, a lot of pre-production and and against the backdrop of this pandemic. This one has not been easy. So uh, I will be in touch about all of this and expect some news coming up very, very soon. This week's topic in in the way of cinema is kind of looking out to all of you while being in production again and uh, on the heels of the special, which we'll also be releasing in October. uh, For all you up-and-coming filmmakers out there or people that are already established and trying to move uh, through the waters of of independent film, uh, the, the real question I have for you is, and, and to think about this, does it really qualify as cinema? And, and again, making a movie against a pandemic ha- is not an easy thing. However, it's not an easy thing in general outside of the world of a pandemic during regular times. So my question really is, is what are you working on? What are you finding out in the way of, of obstacles? Because we, we have a number of things going on here in the industry. So let's, let's look at a couple here. One of them is the value of star power. And you will read or hear or even talk to people who say that, you know, the the great age of Hollywood is now over, that celebrity names or names don't mean anything. And basically you can go out and make a movie without any names and basically make the same amount of money as you would with a, a movie with names. And I'm finding that that is just simply not true. Uh, names still matter. And even with this pandemic and and the issue that's going on with movie theaters being closed and certain films that have already tanked because they were expected to have big summer releases and can't because against the backdrop of COVID uh, now have moved on to streaming and will make a fraction of what they would have at the box office. The fact remains that names still matter in a motion picture and even on the low budget end. So when you're out there, and you're trying to make a movie, and you think you have this great script, and maybe you do, the, the real thing comes down to is, 
how do you legitimize it? Because the number one thing that I still hear, and please, somebody back me up on this. Who's in it? So I thought names didn't matter. I thought the day and age of uh, celebrity names or having a name to help sell a film, those days were over. And it turns out that they're really not. So who do you go for for these names? And I'm not going to be listing any specific celebrity names and who has value and who doesn't. The number one place to sell your film that you should be thinking is not always North America and United States distribution. The fact is, is that the real money is made and where money can be recouped quickly when you find people to put money into this is on the foreign market. Over in Europe, China, uh, areas like that. So so who are you casting in your motion picture and um, what value do they have? It would not hurt to invest in IMDb Pro if you haven't already and start looking into uh, late, you know, the latest uh, articles that are out there telling you, you know, who has value and, and who, who is bringing what, who gets, Forbes regularly publishes uh, their list every year, I think, on who has a real dollar for dollar return value and who's the best deal in Hollywood in the way of names. Now, I know some of you are going, wait a minute, I don't have the money to cast uh, Drew Barrymore or Johnny Depp or Jennifer Aniston. I'm not saying that. The fact is, is that even on a small independent film, let's say, you know, really ultra small, you know, 500,000 and under, you need to look at who you're casting and not just because that name means something to you. The question is, does that name mean something to a distributor? And that is a really important aspect of this. Look, I'm going to be getting into the whole making of my latest movie because it is one hell of a story how this movie got made. And most of all, this last movie that I was supposed to, that I just made, that was supposed to get made uh, before COVID hit. In fact, we had pretty much all of the financing in place. And then COVID struck and the market, you know, tanked. And a lot of the investors that were putting money into the film, well, they they were Wall Street related. So they immediately retracted their funds because they're not putting anything into a film against the backdrop of the greatest global finance panic since the Great Depression. So um, we lost the money and I got the money again. And it's it's one hell of a story of, of how I did this. However, I got basically half the money that I had originally. And how do you go out and make a movie that was budgeted for close to a million dollars and make it on less than half than that? And that's going to be one hell of a cinema episode coming up. But for those of you out there right now trying to get this done, and let's say you have 500 grand and you're making a horror film. We're just going to go with horror because that's usually the most popular genre on on this level. Who are you getting? Because if you're going to take a chunk of your budget, let's say anywhere from 25,000 to 50,000 up on a celebrity name, what value are you getting? And will this mean anything in the way of a distribution deal? You can go out and cast a name just because that name means something to you or you're a fan or something along that line. But it doesn't mean that that name is going to translate into any type of sales value for you. In fact, some names can actually hurt you. I'm going to give you an example of that. And I'm not going to name the name because I don't want to hurt the feelings of the person. Uh, I had one of my films 
be well we, I entered a number of my films into Sundance and uh, this one particular film I got a phone call from someone who claimed they were from the Sundance Jerry and uh, they they spouted off enough information for me to verify that I, I felt the call was legit and they said listen we love this film and I was like wow th- I guess this is that kind of call right I'm getting that call that uh, my film has made it into Sundance and they said well we really like the film, but we are not going to bring the film in, into the uh, festival. And when I asked why, they cited one of my celebrity names. And they said, uh, this person is basically toxic and that they would never give credence to any movie bearing this person's name. And I was crestfallen. I, I couldn't believe that I was getting this kind of call. And when I asked, so why call in the first place? They said, well, we kind of felt you were owed the call because of the quality of the motion picture and how much we enjoyed it. But just to let you know, uh, that person will not ever be part of this Sundance lineup. And uh, that's when I really learned that lesson. I was like, wow, here I thought this name was great. And it turns out this this name was shuddering me uh, out of of other festivals, including you know Sundance. So lesson learned on that one. Look, the whole point of cinema is you know the the aspect of uh, you have the means to do better and you simply choose not to. So when you're making these movies on on these lower levels, you have to make the best motion picture that you possibly can, and and that means not trying to remake Star Wars on on a three four hundred thousand dollar budget. But getting a solid script, getting a solid story, and most of all, populating this this movie with really good actors. And if you can find that name that is a turnkey name that is going to get you somewhere, that's really important because that is a lot of money to spend on a name that will bring you nothing. Remember, that $25,000, $30,000, $40,000, maybe even $50,000, that's money that can go to your crew. That means better crew. That could be better special effects. That means feeding your crew better, lodging your crew better. That's a lot of money at that level. You are taking a significant amount of money to do that. Now, keep in mind, John Carpenter did that very similarly with the original Halloween. Okay, And and the reason why I cite this is it was a different time also as well, too. You're looking at the late 70s. Uh, the slasher genre is getting ready to blow up and everybody thinks, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis was the star of that film. Arguably, she was. However, Jamie Lee Curtis's name meant absolutely nothing to that film at that time. Now it means something, but back then it did not. Horror, as they the, the old uh, adage goes, horror doesn't need names. It makes names. So Carpenter, however, knew They needed a name, some kind of recognizable face or name to give legitimacy to his film. So they brought in Donald Pleasance. And and the reason why I I bring this up is because Pleasance really wasn't a household name. And and he wasn't really a big, big star. I mean, he had done Fantastic Voyage. He was Blofeld in a James Bond. and, And in the meantime, he had populated a lot of really super low budget pictures. So before he was Dr. Loomis, uh, Donald was still really kind of like, oh, that guy. Oh, okay. Well, Carpenter kind of understood that. And having Pleasance in the film would give some kind of legitimacy to Halloween. Did it help sales? 
Uh, did it help foreign market sales? Maybe, but I'm kind of doubting that. I think what it did is that it provided some kind of name brand recognition for the film to give it legitimacy so it wasn't just looked upon as some type of a, or kind of a, a grindhouse horror film. So, you know, oh, that guy is in it. And you might want to adapt that attitude as well, too, without spending a significant amount of money on that name as well. I mean, uh, from what I understand, a large part of the budget did go to Donald Pleasance uh, just for the sake of, of having him in the picture. And we all know, of course, that casting uh, Pleasance in the role of Dr. Sam Loomis was, was just sheer genius. I mean, he, he gave so much to that film and really outshine Jamie Lee Curtis in that movie. So uh, the bet paid off, I guess is what I'm saying. But times are different now. So just because you're going to go out and pluck a name and throw it in, we have far more content, far more avenues for these films to go out. So you really got to be careful on who you're going to pick. And sometimes it can even come down to stunt casting. Uh, certain low-budget horror films will benefit from whether you get an Elijah Wood uh, a Haley Joel Osment, or um, a, even a Daniel Radcliffe in there. Uh, people playing against type, you know, if you're lucky enough to go out and have the money uh, to secure a Macaulay Culkin uh, in your horror film, you, you got to almost think creatively or look at former TV shows, uh, you know, their stars or even their action stars, even action stars will help. And, and again, there is no proven formula. Some of you can be sitting there right now going, Harrison, you're talking out your ass. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I, I actually do. And there have been some films, including this last one that I did, that I did not run down any celebrity names. Number one, there really wasn't any money in the budget to do so. I had to funnel money from what would have been a celebrity name over to the special effects because all the effects in this movie are practical. So I had to weigh the decision. Do I take a gamble and take, you know, a chunk of my budget and throw it at a name and hope that name's going to do something in a monster movie? Or do I focus on the monster? And that's what I did. I rolled the dice and I focused on the monster. I did something very similar with the special as well. With the special, again, I could have gone out could have gotten a name for the lead role and cross my fingers and hope that that name opens up some better distribution for me or a better sale. But instead, knowing that that was also a creature feature, not so much a monster movie, but a creature feature horror and a very bizarre horror that it was very character driven, I decided to go with the effects. And that's where my money went for the special. On this latest film, which I just wrapped uh, only two days ago, uh, again, I came down with the quandary of where do I put my money? This is a monster movie and every aspect. And so if I get a name, I am taking money away from the special effects. So the other aspect was I had this movie pre-sold. And when I announce who has bought this film, which I can in the next week or so, I think you'll understand. So the focus was... I need good performances. All of my leads are these young kids and they are no names. In fact, the studio uh, that, that came forward to, to buy this film in advance said right out, none of these kids have a goddamn IMDB and they did not. 
So I rolled the dice on these kids as well too. And uh, again, I wish I could give far more detail on this, but it's coming up, trust me. And you're going to be hearing a lot about this movie and especially its great title. But the film is in the can. And most of all, I feel really good about it. I, I think it just might be one of the best movies I've ever made, if not the best movie I've ever made. But we also knew that while we have these untested kids, we also need a solid monster that's going to not only scare people, but people go, wow, that's legit. So do you take $25,000, $30,000 for a two, three-day roll for a celebrity name? Because what good is it if you have a celebrity name and you have a lousy monster? So if it doesn't play out on camera well, then you've got the equivalent of, of a really crappy movie that people go, oh, so-and-so was in that movie and that actor then adds a really bad monster movie to their resume. Remember, the concept of cinema is the ability to do better and simply choose not to. We chose to do better on this film and even the special to deliver a good story and most of all an entertaining motion picture. So the focus this time around, again, as I had said, was on the special effects. That was going to be our star. They were going to be our star. So what are you doing? That's my question today as, as this impromptu cinema episode came up. I was originally not planning on having an episode, but I thought thinking about all that I've just gone through in the last three weeks and wishing I could talk about it more, I'm talking to all of you out there. What are you going to do on your present movie that you're working on or about to work on? What are you going to do to make sure that you deliver a top end motion picture? And where will your resources go? You need a solid crew. You need an excellent DP. See, that's the trade-off now. With this flood of content that is coming in, you need an excellent director of photography to also set your movie off from the rest. This is not about going out and finding a DP who just bought their prosumer camera and they've got some panel lights and they're going to light your movie because it's going to look just like that. So quality has become far more important now. The, the days of trying to ape uh, the grunge look or the, the, the grind, you know, grindhouse look or, or Friday the 13th look are kind of gone. It's a stylistic choice, I know. And I'll give you an example. While I was on set, uh, someone mentioned to me that they saw Camp Dread and they loved Camp Dread. But one of the things that, that came up about it was uh, they said that uh, you know Camp Dread looks almost too good. And I thought about that for a moment. And the fact that the Camp Dread was shot on, on a red uh, made all the difference in the world. And if you look at Camp Dread, I mean, it's gorgeous and rich sun, sunsets and sunlight and the way that light is utilized in the film. You know, this person was, was actually right. I mean, Camp Dread looks almost a little too good. And I thought at the time, and I remembered even having this discussion with the DP on Camp Dread, and that is, should we kind of grunge this up a little bit? Should it have more of a low-budget look? And he was adamantly against that, saying this, this should look the best as possible. Uh, I only shoot good stuff. And he, and he was 100% right. Uh, my question was, though, should this, because it is a tip of the hat uh, to old slasher films, should this have some kind of grunge look to it? Uh, a far lesser quality look to match up with those old summer camp slashers from the 80s. And uh, we went the opposite way with a very slick and clean and polished look. 
And again, I love the cinematography in Camp Dread. I, I, I can't praise it enough, but it does make me wonder on, on stylistic choices. So you have to ask yourself these questions as you're working. What is going to get your film noticed? Now, if you remember, uh, Tucky Williams, uh, I believe it was episode six of my cinema podcast, uh, she shot her uh, series, she shot a film, and then, I'm sorry, edited, shot a, a series, and then put it into a film, deliberately looking to copy that 80s VHS style. And uh, so what she did is she did a number of steps in post-production to kind of grunge that image down. So she puts the the film out and the problem is uh, people look at it and go, oh, the quality of the film just isn't there. This looks terrible. And she's like, it's supposed to. It's supposed to look like VHS. And so you have an audience that didn't recognize that. And she, to this day, still clenches her teeth and shakes her fists at the frustration that the people didn't understand the stylistic choice she was going with. So you have to be really, really careful on the avenue you go in making your movie and, and just how that's going to look. Again, making sure that it looks like you put forth your best effort, that you set out to do better and not looking like you simply chose not to. I think the number one lesson I learned from shooting this last movie uh, was to be nimble on your feet and be ready to uh, adapt to any situation. And, and this whole COVID pandemic totally changed the parameters on, on the making of this motion picture. I mean, it literally died. This movie was dead uh, in the water. And, and was, I was told, in fact, in the wake of the crash, Harrison, the money for this is FUBAR. And that's it. It's, it's done. And for about a month or so, I wondered just how am I going to rescue this? I had no idea what was going to happen at all. And finally, uh, an opportunity came and I'll be able to get into that in a later episode. But I knew the one thing. It's not just about making the movie and getting it done and working. Yes, that's all part of it. We all want to work. We all want to keep that income coming in. Uh, the fact was, I really have to make something good. Look, my own manager warned me, if you don't make this well, if this movie does not come out good and get some notice, this is a problem for you. The budget is extremely low. And he said, you're beyond making low budget. Personally, I don't always believe that. I understand what he's saying. He is a great manager and a great guy. Uh, however, I had to work. But you can't just say, I got to work and go out and make something bad. I mean, remember, I got to work. Well, I guess I could go out and shoot porn. Well, that ends your career as well, too. So you, you have to find uh, the middle ground on this and most of all, not compromise the quality uh, or your own integrity to do so. So in making this monster movie, uh, I had to make sure that while I'm rolling the dice on really six unproven kids. Uh, I've also got to make sure that the effects shine, that I have an incredible director of photography, which I do, who is the same DP from the special. Uh, his name is Matt Neese, and he is absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm putting it out there. You want a great uh, DP? Come get him. Come pay for him. Just uh, don't steal him away from me because I need him for a couple more films here. <laughs> he's he's going to win an Oscar in, in all seriousness. And uh, I knew that Matt would make this new film look stellar and fantastic and betray its budget. And that's the real key here on this. Betray your budget. 
make this movie look far more expensive than what it was. So you have a distributor go to you, oh my God, what, what did you shoot? How did you find the money for this? How did you shoot it for this? And here you actually shot it for far less. So I'll give you an example. When I was in New York, uh, meeting with some people on the special, they watched the screener and they said, you know, uh, this is not bad for, you know, a little two, $3 million film. And I chuckled and, and they said, well, what's so funny? I said, well, it was not shot for two, three million. And at first they thought they insulted me. They're like, oh my God, if it was shot for more, we're sorry. We were just pulling that number out. They're trying to backpedal. And I replied, no, 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 no. You, you didn't insult me at all. Uh, you just gave me a huge compliment because the film was shot far south of two, three million. And when they asked how far south, I replied, well, why don't you try Antarctica? Uh, that, that's how south it was from two, three million. So that's the same thing again on, on this new film, which again, I'll be able to drop the title soon. However, the big lesson out of this real quick mini episode, so I can keep some fresh content out there, is don't give up, especially now during this crisis. Some of you out there have lost your projects. Some of you have lost multiple projects. You've lost your financing. Uh, you're unable to pay crews and you're unable to get people to even work for deferred payments. Uh, because of these uncertain times, we have part of the country that's opened up and other parts that are closing back up. And I don't know what is going to happen uh, with with SAG and, and the film industry in the way will productions shut back down again as this virus seems to be resurging one more time. And so until there's a vaccine, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of touch and go here. But you can't give up. I can say on this film... All safety protocols were practiced. You won't find one behind the scenes photo with people without masks, uh, social distancing, all of that. Most of the film was shot outside, which is really good. And the interiors, very few, if any, crowded scenes. Uh, we had a UV wand on set where all equipment, all desks, all table surfaces, anywhere that people touch were all wanded down with UV light ahead of time. Hand sanitizer became a running gag, uh, as we called uh, the people that were running around, the guys that were handing off uh, hand sanitizer every, I think it was like every 25, 30 minutes, uh, right after a take or whatever. Uh, they were known as the juice papas because they are distributing juice. Uh, masks, like I said, uh, food that was brought to the set was all individually wrapped. Uh, we worked hard to fall within proper safety guidelines to ensure the safety of, of our crew and our cast. And it looks like we succeeded extremely well in that and uh, all came out well in the shooting of the motion picture. And now we are putting it together. It is now in post and ready for an October release. So it's moving that quickly. With that kind of time frame, you have to ensure that what you shot is great. And not only did you shoot what you shot was great, but that it's all going to come together well and that this movie does not look like a rush job or slap job. I can say it will not. So for those of you out there right now that are in the midst of salvaging a project, not knowing what to do or just feeling you're ready to give up, don't. I did it. I will be explaining in detail how I did this. And it's one hell of a story on, on how I pulled this off. But uh, I also pulled it off because I had an incredible group of people, not only a cast, but a terrific crew and a very small crew, but a dedicated crew who were there for all the right reasons. 
And nothing about this movie coming up is cinema. So this is Harrison Smith with an impromptu episode just to get me back out there to all of you with a message of hope and telling you it does get better. So don't give up on your projects. Make sure that you are dedicated to making the best thing that you can. Don't let this pandemic stop you. And if it does temporarily halt you, find a way around it, under it, or over it. Thank you for listening. Have a great July 4th weekend. And I look forward to talking with you next week. Please stay safe wherever you are in the world. Thank you. Check out my cinema blog on horrorfuel.net and download Dark Matter TV for your Apple or Android devices.